Welcome to the Collins Hill Pulpit Podcast, a ministry of Collins Hill Baptist Church of Lawrenceville, Georgia. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you Bible messages that are relevant to the day and age in which we live. These messages have been preached from the pulpit of Collins Hill Baptist Church in recent days. Now, here is today's message. Look here with me, Luke chapter number 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 20 this morning. 8 through 20. The Bible says, read along with me, And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to take a moment and praise you. God, we want to praise you that you came to this earth as a little baby. You humbled yourself. You became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Father, because of that death, that burial and resurrection, we have the great privilege and opportunity to call upon you for salvation. Father, we won't just be saved for a little while, but we'll be saved for all of eternity. And God, I do pray that in this time of of studying your word this morning, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive, thus saith the Lord, Father, most of all, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior, maybe they just are are doubtful, maybe they just aren't sure, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would kneel there, that they would bow their knee before you and call upon you as Savior. Father, we do love you this morning. We give this time to you. I pray you would hide me behind the cross, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me of all unrighteousness, Father, and that I may preach your word, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, we do love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of the Christmas story, you most often usually won't think about the shepherds. They're kind of just a, uh, in the big grand scheme of things, just kind of a little detail. Not very, in our minds, important because really they, they're just shepherds. They're, they kind of were just the ones that, that heard about the news and they went and, you know, we like to talk about the candy cane being a shepherd's crook and, and just different things. Really, the shepherds kind of just will pass by our mind. The real, the real, uh, Main point of the story is Jesus Christ. And yes, that is absolutely true. But I believe, and I'm sure you believe as well, that God doesn't put anything in his Bible that he doesn't intend to be there. And so I believe that there is some truth that we can take from God's word about these shepherds. And you say, Landon, what's the point? What, What does it matter about these shepherds? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I want to give you three things this 
morning, only take a few hours to get through it. But as we look at the shepherds, I want you to notice number one, number one, the description of the shepherds. Number one, the description of the shepherds. We see this here in verse number eight. Let's read it again. And they were in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, about these shepherds, we don't know much. We don't have their names. We don't have their wives' names. We don't have their, fa- their children's names. We don't, we don't know really anything about them other than they were shepherds, that they were in the same country abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's all we really know about them. So let's look here at the description of the shepherds. Notice in verse 8, we see, first of all, their location. Their location. They were in the same country. They were abiding in the field. Now, where was this? Where, where would this have been? Well, this would have been within the area of Bethlehem. Could have been north, south, east, or west. Not really sure, but it was within the area of Bethlehem. Based on this, we can assume, based on what we saw last week about Bethlehem being the place where the flocks of sheep that would be offered in temple sacrifice were kept, we can assume, although not with certainty but we can assume with some general uh, general certainty that these shepherds might have been the been the shepherds of the flocks of the uh, temple sacrifice we see in their location that they were in Bethlehem and now I just want to mention this I know that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th and and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that but uh, I was in Israel just a few months ago and uh, as, as we were there, we were talking to our guide, and, and she was referencing this story. We were, we were near to Bethlehem. Of course, um, we, you cannot get into Bethlehem. If you are a Jewish person, you are not allowed into Bethlehem. Although it is within the country of Israel, it is controlled by Jordanian, uh, by Jordanian people and the Jordanian government. So basically, if you are Jewish at all, if you step foot within the city limits of Bethlehem, you will be shot on the spot. You cannot be a Jewish person and enter Bethlehem. So what we, were, what we had to do was we, we got uh, south of Jerusalem and we kind of got to the border almost and we looked and we saw these fields, these hills that were there. And she was saying, you know, this could be, of course we don't know, but this could be where these shepherds were in the field watching their flocks. Of course we don't know for certain where they were, the Bible doesn't tell us. But it could have been, and it would have been something like that. And something interesting was she said, you know, the Christmas story, the time in which it took place, wasn't really in December. She said, because if it was, then these shepherds would have froze to death. You see, in Israel, they would have been somewhere around September, October, somewhere around that time where they would have been out there in the field with their flocks at night. If it was in December, they would actually have kept them indoors. So the Christmas story could be set somewhere around September, October, although it it really doesn't matter in our celebration of Christmas. The real reason why we celebrate Christmas isn't because of the shepherds and isn't because of the sheep. It's because of Jesus and when he was born. But we see here their location. They were in the same country. They were abiding in the field. Notice with me number two here is their occupation. Their occupation. We see that they were shepherds. They were shepherds. These men were simply those that kept sheep. In in all reality, it was a menial task. 
you, you didn't have to be very smart. You really didn't have to be extremely strong. All you had to do was make sure that the dumb sheep didn't kill themselves. Make sure that they ate. Make sure that they were safe. Make sure that they had their basic needs taken care of. That was all a shepherd had to do. And it's amazing here that we see within their occupation that God, he made sure to reveal, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but he made sure to be the very first people that this was revealed to the truth of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem was to shepherds. To the ones that were really just doing a menial task. Not, not, doing, not doing in our minds something like an engineer or a doctor or somebody that has a lot of quote-unquote responsibility or has quote-unquote a lot of education. Who did God come to? He came to these lowly shepherds. You know, this isn't the first time that God has worked with shepherds. I want you to come go with me to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. For the next couple minutes, we are going to fl uh, flip a few times here in our Bible, so I encourage you to stay with me. Exodus chapter number 3. The first example, when I look back in my Bible, the first example I see of a shepherd that God used was a man named Moses. You may know him. Moses. Exodus chapter number 3, we find that right before Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he has killed the Egyptian that was, that was beating his people, that was beating a Jewish man. And we, and we see that, that Moses killed and buried him in the sand. It was found out. And so what happened? He took off running. Okay? We, we, we do know that Moses, going even further back, he was a little baby that was hid in, a, in an ark on the river, in the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter came down and found him and adopted him. And, and Moses grew up as if he was an Egyptian, as if he was prince, as if he, as, as if he was an heir to the Egyptian royalty. That's how he grew up. But then the, the Bible says that he got to the place to where he identified with his own brethren. Can I tell you that that, that is something that Jesus Christ did? You see, when Jesus Christ was in heaven, he, he looked at us and he had compassion on us. He came to this earth and he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day to pay for our sins. You see, Jesus Christ, he looked at us and he said, I'm going to identify with them. We see a picture of what Jesus Christ did here in the life of Moses. But Moses, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Moses went from the palace to the backside of the desert. What a downgrade in our minds. But can I tell you this much? For the sake of time, I won't read the rest of this chapter. But you see, in the palace, God didn't reveal himself to Moses. But you see, it was on the backside of the desert through a burning bush that God revealed himself to Moses. Now, it, it, let's, make it some, uh, uh, let's make some application here. You know, when things are going really good in our lives, when, when we're just enjoying life, things are good, finances are good, marriage is good, kids are good. I mean, everything's going good. Oftentimes what happens, we start thinking a little bit less about the Lord. Oh, he's blessing me. I, I'm, not, I'm not in trouble, so I don't really have to go to him right now. He's my genie in the bottle, and when I get in trouble, I'll just rub the lamp, and then, and then, then, then I'll uh, call on him. But we see, it was in the palace that Moses, he, he didn't find God in the palace. Now, could have, God reveal, could have God revealed himself in the palace? Yes. 
But there was all the distractions of the palace. In our lives, sometimes there's too many distractions. Too many things going on when things are going good. But, but when God begins to strip some things away, when God begins to purify us, when God does, does to, to us what He did to Job, and He starts to take things away, and then, and then guess what Job said when, that was, when those things were happening to him? He said, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. Though I be tried with fire, I shall come forth as gold. You see, it was in the time when Moses was on the backside of the desert, away from the distractions of the palace, away from the splendor of the palace, that it was where God revealed himself to to Moses. We see here in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses was a keeper of the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. He was on the backside of the desert. If you, and of course, if we notice in just a few verses, he will encounter the manifested presence of God in the burning bush. But there is just something about being brought to a lowly state before God will reveal himself to us in an amazing way. It's an amazing fact that the way up is really the way down. If you want to be exalted, if you want to be lifted up, if you want things to go great in your life, guess what? The way to go up is actually to go down. The way to go up, the way to get to God is not to come boldly in an arrogant sense, but to come on our knees. We come on our knees before God and and that shows the humility that we have. And, And we really don't find how humble we ought to be until we're on the backside of the desert. Until we, everything else has been stripped away and all that's left is us and God. Where we have nothing else to rely on, only God. And we see here in the life of Moses that when he got to his lowest state on the backside of the desert, away from everything that he grew up with, God revealed himself to him. Maybe you're in a place right now where you say, yep, things are starting to get stripped away from me. I'm going through a trial. I don't understand it. Can I tell you that maybe God is trying to reveal something about you to yourself, but also he may be trying to reveal something about him to yourself, to you. I encourage you in the times of trials and temptations and hard times, don't be so caught up in everything that's going on. Be caught up on the eternal father and what he's trying to teach you in your life. We see here Psalm 113 verse 7, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The way up is down. The way to Christ is on our knees. We see here the first picture of these shepherds that God used, and we see it in the life of Moses. But let, let's go to another place, First Samuel. Go with me to First Samuel chapter number 16. I have been studying through the life of David just in my own personal devotion time. The Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And of course, we need to study. It's a wonderful thing to read your Bible. I am a big proponent of reading your Bible. I'm a big proponent of prayer. God says to pray without ceasing. We ought to read our Bible and pray. If you read your Bible but don't pray, guess what? That's God talking to you and you're not talking to him. If all you do is pray but not read your Bible, you know what's happening? You're talking to God, but He's not talking to you. It's only a monologue. We need to have a dialogue, right? If we're going to have a relationship with somebody, they've got to talk to us and we've got to talk to them. 
You know, George Mueller, he was a man of wonderful prayer. He was a man that prayed and prayed and sought after God. He read his Bible four times through a year. But guess what he did? And it's a wonderful connection that he made in his mind. And he did it physically to make the connection. He read through his Bible four times a year on his knees. You say, Landon, I can't get on my knees. That's okay. What, what, what's the point here? It's that as he was reading his Bible, he was praying his way through the Scripture. Can I just give you just something that has helped me in my Christian walk that I, I think will be a help to you as well? I encourage you to pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter 1 where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And just do this. Father, help me not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Father, help me not to stand in the way of sinners. And as you go through the psalm, just, just pause. Read it, pause and say, Father, help me to apply this to my life. Help me be this blessed man. And then you say, okay, I've done chapter one. Now what do I do? Skip 20 chapters or skip 20 psalms and go to Psalm 21. And read that one and pray through that one. You say, well, I've got more time. I want to do some more. Go to Psalm 41. Then go to Psalm 61. Guess what? You've got plenty of psalms. You say, what do I do the next day? Well, you go to Psalm 2. Then you skip 20 psalms. Psalm 22. You'll never run out of it. But I encourage you, start with the book of Psalms and pray your way through Psalms. Take one a day and just pray your way through it. You don't pray it as if you just read it and that's your prayer. No. Read it. And if it's whatever it says, say, God, help this be me or God, help this not be me. You know what will happen? Your prayer life will become a lot less about you and more about him. I encourage you to do that. But we see here first Samuel chapter number 16. We see David. He is a teenager. He is as verse 11 says, and Samuel said unto Jesse, are all thy children, are, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. We see here David as a teenager, as, a, as the youngest child was out in the fields, as a shepherd. We see here something amazing. We see that the prophet Samuel, he has come to the house of Jesse. God revealed to Jesse to Samuel that this would be where the next king of Israel would come from. We find that he comes to Jesse's house and Jesse says, oh yes, I've got eight sons. And he shows him the first one, big, strong. He said, and, and Samuel says, oh, this is the guy. This has got to be him. And God says, no, not him. Jesse says, okay, that's kind of weird. So he brings the second one forward. And the second one, man, he's bigger. He's even bigger and stronger. He can slap the first brother down. That's embarrassing when your younger sibling can slap you down. I will say I, I am taller than all of my siblings and my parents. It's, it's fun when I can get my dad a hug and my chin goes on top of his head. But we see the second one comes and God says, nope, not him. And, and, and Jesse goes down the line of all the kids. And, and Samuel says, Lord, I mean, these are all the kids. Uh, who's left? And, and he says, I mean, is this all of them? And, and, and Jesse says, well, there's one more. But he's just a shepherd. 
He's just a shepherd keeping out. He's the youngest. He's a teenager. Guess what happens? He is brought before Samuel. And we see here in verse number 12. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. The shepherd, the youngest of the whole entire family. I mean, God, did you not see the other brothers? God, did you not see the ones that were probably a lot more qualified to do the task of king of Israel? I mean, this kid, he was a kid. God, do you not, what are you doing? But God said, no, it's none of the older ones. It's David. Anoint him. This is he. We see that God, he chooses the ones that to our minds says, that doesn't make any sense. You know why? Because when God uses that person to do something amazing, we can't sit back and say, man, they were so qualified to do that. Man, they had all the tools that they needed to accomplish that. No, all we can say is, what a God. What a God. Look, now you may be here and you say, I'm not much of anything. I'm not much of a Christian. I'm not, I'm not much of a church member. I'm not much of this. I'm not much of that. Can I tell you, if God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do what he's called you to do. Maybe you say, God, I can't do that thing that you're calling me to do. I don't know what it is that God may be calling you to do. But I do believe he is calling every person here to do something. Maybe it's just to be here faithfully at church every time the doors are open. Maybe it's to give to a specific missionary for a specific project. Maybe it's to hand that track to somebody that you're, as you're standing there at the gas station. Maybe as you're going through the drive-thru. Maybe as you're at the restaurant and God prompts your heart to leave a track and you say, well, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm not very good at talking. I'm not very good at this or that. Look, all, I, can't, I can't tell you what God is telling you to do. But whatever he's telling you to do, if you feel like you can't do it because you're not qualified, can I just go ahead and give you something? Can I just give you some truth here? That's a really good indication that that's exactly what God wants you to do. God wants you to do the things that you sit back and say, God, I can't do this. God, I'm not qualified for this. You know, I don't, I don't remember uh, God needing us to be qualified to do his work. I don't remember God ever telling us, as long as you're perfect, I can use you. No, God used just a shepherd. God used Moses when he was a shepherd. God used David when he was a teenager, just a shepherd. And we see here that God used these shepherds to reveal to them. First, he didn't go to the palace. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to the chief priest. No, he went to just some shepherds in the same country, abiding in the field. Last week, we saw that Jesus, he came as a lowly baby, but now we see that he revealed the salvation of mankind to lowly shepherds. Writer said this, God wanted to make it clear, even in his announcement to the shepherds, that God loved the whole world and that salvation was for whosoever. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't Look at you and say, oh, I can't use you. You're not quite good enough for me. Ah, sorry. Can't use you. You made too many mistakes. 
Sorry, can't save you. You got to get to this certain point in your life and then I can save you. No, he just looks at us and he says, come. All you that thirst, drink of the water of life. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter if you're lowly. It doesn't matter if you're richer than the richest man in the world. Technically, you'd be the richest man in the world. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter anything. God wants to save you. Not only does he want to save you, he wants to use you. What, what is God calling you to do today? What is God wanting you to do today? I dare say that everybody in here knows what God wants them to do. It's just a matter of doing it. We'll see that here in a few minutes as well. But we see their location, we see their occupation, but we also see their dedication. We see their dedication. Notice it says keeping watch by night. That word keeping watch, it it carries with it the idea of taking shifts. Usually what would take place is you would have one shepherd with his flock and he'd be out in the desert by himself, you know, keeping watch, whatever. But in this scenario, there was multiple shepherds together. That means there was multiple flocks. And so while, while a few slept, maybe one or two were awake, making sure everything was good, and then they would go to sleep, and you know, two more would wake up, they were taking shifts. We see that they were dedicated to their job, dedicated to what God had called these men to do. Can I tell you that if we want this church to do anything for the Lord... If we want this church to grow, if it, 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 it's wonderful to grow, to pack this place out. That would be wonderful. But you know what would be even more wonderful? It would be even more wonderful for each and every one of us to just simply dedicate ourselves to doing what God wants us to do. You know, when we start doing what God wants us to do, He will bring the increase. He will bring people. He will be the one that does it. We have a responsibility, though, and that's to obey God, to do what he says to do. We can dedicate ourselves to the Lord in simple ways, like reading our Bibles, praying, not allowing disunity in the God's house. That's a big one right there. There are things that we must be dedicated to, and we see that these men, they were shepherds dedicated to the job that they had. We see, first of all, the description of the shepherds, verse 8. But number two, number two, we see the directive to the shepherds. The directive to the shepherds, or or the message. Look here at verse number 9. It says that an angel of the Lord came to these shepherds. I better get back over to Luke. But an angel of the Lord came to these shepherds. Now, We don't know for certain what angel of the Lord this is. We can assume that it was the angel Gabriel. He was the one who brought the message to Elizabeth just a a chapter before. So we can guess that this could have been Gabriel, a a messenger of God. And, And what is an angel? An angel is a messenger. We see that this angel brought a directive, a message to these shepherds. It wasn't over a text or a phone call, but the very presence of an angel. Now, I want us to look at what this message was. What was this message? What what was it about? Notice, letter A, it was a message of comfort. A message of comfort. Look here at verse number 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not, fear not. Now, let's just get very practical. If an angel 
in the middle of the night were to drop from the sky to where you were standing or where you were sitting, it would scare you to death. I think it's pretty safe to say that you would probably run with your tail in between your legs. Terrified, okay? So these shepherds, they were, they were scared, but, but this angel came and he said, fear not. I can just imagine the shepherds, ah, oh, okay, he said, fear not, we're good. Uh, no, that's not how it worked, man. I'd, I'd be shaking the whole time. But the angel comes and it was a message of comfort, a message of comfort. Not only was it a message of comfort, but it was a message of cheer, a message of cheer. And by the way, I love this. I love this point right here. If you don't listen to anything else in this message, please listen to this. Look here, it was a message of cheer. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We see this phrase, behold, I bring you. I, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, I'd underline that, those two words, bring you, or those three, I bring you. That word bring you is also where we get the word to evangelize. It's, it's from the Greek word that we get evangelize or evangelism. These angels evangelized. It is a word that has the idea of announcing, especially announcing good news. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? These angels said, fear not. Behold, I bring you, I evangelize you. News, great news, which is going to be to all people. We see that it was a message of cheer because of its definition. By definition, it was a message of cheer. The message that we proclaim is not a message of depression, but of joy. Not, a, not of sadness, but of shouting. The gospel is a message of good tidings, of great joy. The word gospel, the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we're to take to, the, to all the nations, the gospel that we're to propagate it is the, the gospel means the good news. These angels were evangelizing the same message that you and I get to evangelize. You and I get to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that, hey, today there is a Savior and his name is Christ the Lord. By definition, it is a message of cheer. First Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. I encourage you to write that uh, verse in your margin next to verse 11. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Can I tell you, you know what is not included in those four verses? Baptism is not included in these verses. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He makes a distinction. Your salvation is not tied up in your baptism. If you are getting baptized to be saved, all that you are is a wet sinner on the way to hell. Baptism cannot and will not save you. Baptism has never saved anybody in this world. It also doesn't say anything about church membership. Now, should we be members of a local New Testament Bible-believing church? Absolutely. We ought to be members of a church. You see, the Bible talks about in the verses, uh, in the chapters where it says to the churches of Galatia and to, to all these things, 
There obviously were members of these churches. We ought to unite ourselves to a church that believes what the Bible teaches. We ought to do that. But that is not a matter of our salvation. It does not say anything in these verses about church membership being intertwined with the gospel. You know what else isn't here? Good works. We don't find good works in the gospel, in the good news, the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus made possible, the death, the burial, and resurrection. There is no pluses. There are no minuses. And our good works is not added in there. You and I cannot work our way to heaven. There is not one good work that we can do that will grant our way to heaven. There's not going to be at the end of our lives some sort of, of balance beam that, that goes back and forth. And on this side is all of our good works. On this side is our bad works. And, and it just kind of leans. And oh, we just barely made it in by good works. No, the Bible says that there are none good. The Bible says that there are none good whatsoever. The Bible says that our righteousness are as filthy rags. The Bible says that, there, that we have all fallen short. The Bible says that we cannot work our way to heaven. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible teaches us that, that the gospel, that we are to believe the good news is nothing about what you and I can do and all about what Jesus Christ did. It is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is good news by definition. Not only is it good news by definition, but also by application. It was a message that is applied to all people. Notice he says... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Guess what? If you're a person here today, the gospel is for you. If you're here today, the gospel is for you. If you're here and you're saved, the gospel is still for you. It was for you. The Bible says that it was to all people. You know, I'm going to give you a Bible college definition of all. Now you need to prepare. It's going to be, it's going to be big. All right. The word all means all. And that's all that all means. All means all. Not some, not just a couple, all. Who, who was the message of the gospel to? All people. All people. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering or patient to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that, I think you can know this word, say it with me, all should come to repentance. But that all should come to repentance. God desires every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, everywhere to be saved. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, how will they hear without a preacher? And by the way, when it says preacher there, it's not talking about just those that stand behind a pulpit. It's those that are sitting in the congregation. It's, it's, not, it's not only reserved for, for only certain types of people. No, it's for everyone. We are all supposed to go to tell the world all about what Jesus Christ did for them. That is our responsibility. Romans ten thirteen for whosoever... You ready for what whosoever means? You ready for another Bible college definition? It means all. It means whosoever. It doesn't mean whosoever named Landon. No. It doesn't mean whosoever named Dan. No. It says whosoever. That's everyone. That's all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I tell you what, I'm thankful this morning that I was one of those all people. Are you thankful this morning? You're, you're one of, you were one of those all people. If you're here today and you're not saved, you're one of these all people. The message of the gospel is to you. We see it was a message of cheer. By definition and application, the gospel is the good news. But not only do we see that, but we also see that it was a message of confirmation. A message of confirmation. Notice here he says, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Of course, we know in verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, we looked at it last week, that that was exactly what happened. And this angel came and brought the good news and confirmed the message. How was the message of Jesus Christ being the Messiah going to be confirmed? It was going to be confirmed because what God said was going to take place. Now imagine if these shepherds would have gotten to the end and would have seen the baby Jesus and they would have seen him and, and he was uh, you know, laying in a, in a baby crib um, and he had on a t-shirt and jeans and all that. Okay, there, there'd be some discrepancies, right? There would be some, some things that, uh, that doesn't match up with what I heard. Can I just tell you, by the way, that when somebody comes to you telling you, preaching to you, telling you things that the Bible says this and that, and you read your Bible and say, that does not say this or that. Can I tell you something? You ready for something else, Bible college? They're wrong. They're wrong and the Bible's right. If somebody comes to you and says, oh, you, you've got to work to be saved, or oh, you've got to be baptized to be saved, or, or oh, you've got to do this or that or this, and, and that'll, that'll merit you some, some great favor with God, can I tell you, that's nowhere in the Bible. They're wrong. God's right. The Bible says, let, every man, let God be true and every man a liar. It was a message of confirmation. It was confirmed. These shepherds were told something. They came to the end, and guess what? They found it to be true. We're going to look here in a second about what these shepherds did. But we see they expected to be told, You shall find him, though a babe, dressed up in robes and lying in the best house in the town. Lying in a state with a numerous train of attendants and rich livories. That's what they expected to hear, but you know what they did hear? No. You will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Can you imagine an angel coming to you and saying, the Messiah is here. There, there is a Savior which has been born. These shepherds, they're thinking, oh great, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the palace. He's the king. And they said, no, he's in an inn. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. That's shepherds might be like, okay, that's interesting. We'll look here in a, in a moment more at that. But we see it was a message of confirmation. Not only that, but it was a message of conciliation. Conciliation. A message of conciliation. Conciliation is a, is a cognate of the word reconciliation. To be reconciled. Notice the verse. It says, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill toward men. And I'm not talking about a peace in the 70s with the hippies. No. I'm talking about peace with God. Peace with God. Can I just, can I just be very blunt with you today? If you're here and you're not saved, the Bible says that you are not at peace with God. You are an enemy of God. Not because of who you are, but because of your sin. Because of the things that you do, that you say, that you think that displease God. Because of that, you are at enmity. You are an enemy of God. 
You are not at peace with God. And so the angel comes and shares that this good news that is to all men, that all can be saved, it's, it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. What did Jesus Christ do when he came to this earth, when he died on the cross, when he was buried, when he rose again on the third day? He brought peace to this earth. He bought, brought peace to your life. He brought the possibility of peace. You can have peace with God. The word peace, it simply means concord. It means, it means harmony. To be at rest with someone. Maybe you, maybe you know somebody in, in, in your past or maybe now you're not at peace with them. You, you, that your relationship is kind of broken and there's just not quite harmony. You're not at peace with that person. If you're here and you're lost without Jesus Christ, you are not at peace with God. You are not at peace with God. You are lost. But Jesus Christ, He brings peace because He is peace. Jesus Christ made the way that you and I could be reconciled to God. To be brought together. God is over there. We are way over here in our sin. And if you're not saved, there is a big old gap in between. But you see, what Jesus Christ did was He laid His cross down and He made a bridge so that you and I can get to God through Jesus Christ. How do we get there? Well, we've got to get there by Jesus. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no way to God except through Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be saved is through Jesus. The only way that you can be at peace with God is to know the Prince of Peace. The world is at war with God. Sinners are at enmity against their Maker and against each other. There is no peace to the wicked. But Jesus came to make peace. And thus He did. Number one, by reconciling the world to God by His atonement. Jesus made it possible for you and I to be brought together with God. To be saved. It was a message of peace. A message of conciliation. Notice with me lastly, not only was it a, we see the description of the shepherds, the directive to the shepherds, but also lastly we see the determination of the shepherds. The determination of the shepherds. Look here with me, verse 15. Or we'll look verse 15 to 20, actually. But after this message was brought to the shepherds, they obviously determined some things in their mind. And I think that you and I would, be, would do well to make some of these same determinations. They were determined to accept. Letter A, they were determined to accept. We don't find the shepherds here arguing amongst themselves as to whether what was told them was true or not. They determined to accept what they had been told. They determined to accept, okay, what this angel says is true. And you know what happened when they made that determination? I'm getting a touch ahead of myself. But when they made that determination, they did something with it. They, they did something with it. Lovely simplicity of devoutness and faith this is. They are not taken up with the angels, the glory that invested them, the lofty strains with which, they, which filled the air, nor did they say, let us go and see if this be true. 
They have no misgivings, but let us go and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Can I just be, let's make application here. Be very simple. You know what God wants from you? He just wants you to obey. God just wants you to believe Him. Do you believe God today? God's promised He'd take care of every need we'd have. Are you worried about the needs that you have? God promised it. We should determine our hearts to accept it. We often try and make the Christian life so difficult when in all reality the Christian life is simply obeying God. Are you obeying God today? Have you determined to accept and do whatever God wants you to do? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you fearing God? Are you keeping His commandments? That's, that's the whole duty of man. You say, well, what are His commandments? Well, you'll find them here in His Word. But I give you two. Love God and love others. How are you doing? How are you doing with that? We see they were here they were determined to accept. But because of their determination to accept, they were determined to act. Letter B, they were determined to act. Notice the phrase is, let us now go. And they came with haste. Because of their determination to accept, their acceptance brought them to action. Not only did they act, did they act in going to see the baby, Jesus, but once they saw him, they acted again. The shepherds encountered Jesus and could not help but spread the news abroad. The good news was brought to them. They found it to be true. They believed it. They saw it. And guess what they did? Verse 17, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. It only makes sense to share good news. It only makes sense to share good news. You ever have something really awesome happen in your life? Something really awesome, just some great news, and you couldn't wait to go home and tell your spouse, can't, couldn't wait to get to work the next day and tell your coworkers, just couldn't wait to tell somebody about the good news. But when it comes to the gospel, man, we were determined to accept it, but then once we got it, we're, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Man, we're real good at sharing all other good news, but there's no greater news in all the world than the message of the gospel. We ought to be out and about acting upon it, sharing it. It only makes sense to share good news. The angel had good news and shared it. The shepherds had good news and they shared it. You and I, we have good news. We should share it. question is, are we? Are we sharing the good news of the gospel with others? Are you sharing the gospel of the good news with others? I'm not asking you to give up your job, give up everything, and just go stand on a street corner. All I'm asking you to do, all God's asking you to do, is just go tell one. Just go tell one person. Just go tell one. Determined to accept, determined to act. Letter C, lastly, determined to adore. When these shepherds returned to their flock, they were praising God. They were, they were adoring God. I wonder, 
When was the last time you just said, you know what, Lord? I'm not coming to you this morning, this afternoon, this evening to ask you for anything. I'm not coming here to ask you to to bless me here, to help me here, to do this, to do that. When was the last time that you just said, God, I just want to adore you. I just want to praise you. You know, the Bible tells us that when we pray, we can lift up holy hands. You know, there's there's something biblical about that. You know know what this does? It not only shows reverence to God, but but some of you that have children or nieces, nephews, whatever, you ever seen them when they were toddlers come running up to you and do this right here? What were they asking to do? Hold me. Hold me. When was the last time you just looked at God and said, God, I don't need anything. I just want to worship you. God, I just want to get close to you. Hold me. When was the last time that we did that? Let's stand. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Bible message. We pray that you've received a blessing, and we look forward to being with you again in the future.